Hey, this is episode 77 of Tumble Vision with our guest tonight, Paul Adams, and we're going to talk about the differences between Facebook and Google in social relationships. Paul, what else? We'll talk about the differences. I think we'll talk a lot about the differences between online and offline social networks and the, you know whether or not we should be trying to replicate all the things that happen offline, online, and what the best way to do that is. Touche. Okay. And we'll talk about what happens when you add 500,000 laptops to, th- to 3 million people in Uruguay. Oh, yes. That's awesome. That's the best. So, check it out. Television 77. Everybody, welcome to Tumble Vision, episode 77. This is uh, one of your co-hosts, Deb Schultz, aka the Knowledge Brickalure, sitting with you in San Francisco, along with my other co-host, who would be Kevin Marks. Hi there. I'm actually at SlideShares HQ this week, which ah. is suitable, seeing as um, Paul um, shared his slides on a SlideShare in the first place, which. Um, <laughs> <laughs> raised, uh, helped us find him anyway. Exactly. Very good point. <laughs> That's so, right. Yeah. And that, that other voice that you hear is our guest this week, Paul Adams. Say hello, Paul. Hey, everybody. Nice to be here. Awesome. And we are uh, awaiting our third uh, musketeer, Heather Gold. Uh, for those of you who are listening to Tumble Vision for the first time, Tumble Vision is a weekly salon-style podcast, and it's about how our human and tech selves intersect. And each week we explore various dimensions of tumbling with smart folks like Paul who are creating this new world. 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 And what is it you might ask that tumbling is? Well, tumbling comes from a Yiddish word and it's to tumble, otherwise known as tumult. And tumblers were hired at weddings to get everyone to dance. So, and also in the Borscht Belt, they would hang out with the guests during the week before they would do their shows on Saturday night. So we find this word extremely appropriate to design, to define and describe how we all get along in this world today that's no longer command and control, but collaborative. And so tumblers are those who, it's a practice, both people do it, and we hope we have more technology that is designed to help people tumble, and that is to collaborate online and to catalyze others to action. So without further ado, we usually start our show talking about a couple of of minutes, news stories, and Paul, feel free to jump in. Kevin, what's gone on in the world of social and tech this week that you want to talk about? Um, there were, well, I, I was spent a chunk of time looking at new startups and I was intrigued by one of them from the, um, 500 startups demo, which was one called culture kitchen, San Francisco. Um, and what they're doing is they're connecting people who want to learn how to cook, um, ethnic food with, uh-huh. um, immigrant grandmas who already know how to cook this, um, food. Um, so they're, they're basically setting up meetups between these these two groups of people who wouldn't ordinarily, ordinarily find each other, so they can communicate through the, through the medium of food. So I thought that was a very tumbly startup of of all the ones I saw in the, in the twenty five startups last night. Yeah, that is incredibly tumbly and smart, and I really love it because it's probably because it's cross generational, and you know, and I assume they're using lots of you know sort of online tools to find people and get stuff together and. 
God, we don't want to lose all that great knowledge that our grandmas have about food. Uh, maybe. But, but know, the other thing they said was that, that you know, there's there's a lot of people who actually emigrate to to this area. Um, uh, and then miss the family and the food and the, and the sort of cultural context that they were used to. And so totally. it was great for them as well to, to, to sort of find an, another, someone who could teach them how to cook Ukrainian food or, or whatever. So yeah, I was just going to ask you, how many different types of, of – did they talk about some they, examples? They've got, they got, they they've got a lot of um, Asian and Eastern European and things, but they, they, were, they right. were looking for new examples as well. So. Interesting. Is it, is it people learning how to – cook their own nationalities food? It's a mixture. So it's a mixture of people who want to cook their own nationalities food, but there's also, um, no, I'd really like to learn how to cook Thai food properly. Um, because, you know, if, you, if you're in, in the Bay Area, you, you will be eating Thai food and Vietnamese food anyway because it, they're almost, you know, standard categories here. Uh, but learning how to do that at, at home as well. So I, I, I really like the idea. It's one of those things that, like, that makes so much sense. That's brilliant. Right. I, I, it fits. It's just sort of like, yes. You know, to me, it's, 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 it's just funny that it's a startup. I love that it's happening, but that it's happening under the umbrella of it being a startup. I can't really wrap my well, head around. That was you know? Something Quinn Norton said to me the other week when I was, I was, I was chatting to her, she said, there's something really weird about the idea that the way you express anything is to start a company. Um. I, that's what, exactly what I'm getting at. It's like in any other point in time, it would be, you know, described as I'm getting a couple of, I, I've, I'm starting a book club around food, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And it's, so it just, just demonstrates how this startup culture has sort of perf, perf, you know, really permeated everything, right? right. Well, that's, I mean, the other thing. I mean, the other thing about the the, the founder startups thing was it was great. You know, it's, it's always interesting to see a bunch of people who were, have got ideas about that. I also went to the the new me um, accelerator, which was um, a a set of black entrepreneurs who'd, who'd rented a house in Mountain View and, and come here to build their startups over over a month. And that that was a, a very different. Well, it was interesting because it was different and it was the same. It was the same thing of we're expressing our ideas through building companies, but it was a, it was a different group of people who, who had you know, different, different worldviews. Because there was something slightly odd about um, some of the um, 500 Startups guys were like, I have this really sort of obscure problem in my life, so I'm building a startup to solve it, which was, which was kind of odd. Um, and, but and that's it was, very, yeah, that's the Sam, that's the Silicon Valley. I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of channel a little Heatherness here. That's like sort of the echo chamber Silicon Valley culture, though. You know, I've right. got this. Me and some friends have this problem, and it's gonna. It, and you know, there's this assumption that everybody has this problem. And, and right. you know, you can look at that as glass half full or glass half empty. You know, it, it pushes innovation, but it can be very echoey yes. and very you know very outliery. <laughs> but, but you know, you know but, the, but the point is, well, we're exploring that problem. You might find something that, that is more general. That's that always the um, right. That's the point. In, interesting one as well. Yeah. Um, so, sort of, and sort of following that theme a little bit. There's um, one of the talks at um, OSCON two weeks ago was Rabble. Can you can you explain OSCON? You need to sort of take a moment okay. and explain what OSCON is or OSCON and uh, OSCON is the open source conference, which is one of the O'Reilly conferences. It's one of the one of their bigger ones um, that basically um, takes over um, a large convention center every year and has all the open source people hanging out talking about stuff. Um, right. and, and Rabble, who's um, 
one of the guys who worked on Twitter and generally a cool hacker guy gave a, a fascinating talk about how Uruguay had got a hacker culture because all the kids have suddenly got these one laptop per child laptops. Um, and so he says, you know, you can tell where the Wi-Fi hotspots are in Uruguay because there's a cluster of little kids with green computers around all of them. That's uh, very cool. And, and, and it, uh, is this sort of, it was the, the story, the story is fascinating. And um, the, the slides are very, you know, here's some awesome pictures of this place, but the, the story he told was great. So I'm hoping that, that they'll both post a video of that as well. Um, because that was, that was one of those, you know, it's just the opposite of the, I have this sort of um, lifestyle problem. I'm going to be able to start to follow it. This is like, oh, suddenly we've dropped, you know, hundreds of thousands of computers into this um, fairly poor country with um, poor infrastructure. Um, and suddenly all the kids are learning to, to build things and communicate this way. So that, that is one of those um, really, you know, sort of very interesting Tumani stories that I, I want to hear more about. I'm hoping he'll, he'll um, we'll see that video soon as well. Well, let's get him on the show. Yes, I will do that. Yeah, I, I mean, Rabble's is great. Preferably, preferably when he's here rather than actually in Uruguay because Wait, in that lives. connection there might be a bit thin, but yeah. yeah. The, 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 the interesting thing he said was that... Um, the the way the telco works there is different, which is that um, they will give um, for they basically give you flat rate internet as part of the phone service, um, but it's it's a fairly low rate, but everyone gets it, um, and then they've got an upsell to the, to the people who are actually you know the sort of the actual developer types who, who want a bit more, but everyone gets um, basic internet service, um, which means that all the, sh- all the coffee shops have internet service of some flavor. And so this is why all the kids sort of flock around the coffee shops, around the, around the, you know, sitting in the street with their little OLPCs um, hacking away. Which sounds, which, by the way, that kind of access sounds really great, but isn't that what a lot of people who are arguing for net neutrality don't want to have happen? That will sort of have gated communities where people who pay more get more bandwidth? Well, the point is that at least everyone gets something. That, that was that was the that was the, the, the difference here. Yes, th- that's absolutely great. But I, but you you can imagine that I'm, I'm looking at you know a negative side of it. You can imagine ten years from now that you know you'll have the same digital divide because people won't be able to get online and get information as quickly as other people. Those kids. But now, as a start, it's great. I hope it doesn't get baked in that way. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, what? Oh, I was going to ask, was there something specific about OLPC? Like, why, like why not a bunch of other cheap laptops? I think it was just, they, they, they actually had that, pro, they, they were part of that program. So they, they had, um, you know, 500,000 laptops handed out in a country that has a fairly small population. So it, it, made, it made, you know, five, yeah, 520,000 laptops for a country of 3 million people. Wow. So that, that wow. is a fairly yeah, significant change in, in what happened. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a huge game changer right there. Absolutely, uh, that that's a big one. I mean, one of the things you know, just news wise, uh, I'm trying to think that, uh, what else is going on this week that that we could jump into, so then we can just jump deeply in to Paul. I mean, local story that I don't believe we got a chance to talk about last week, um, but you know, the London riots and. Um, and San Francisco's um, sort of civil actions against BART and how in both these cases sort of governments have sort of discussed the impact of access, right? Um, And in San Francisco, they turned it off. I mean, you know, in a local BART station here in San Francisco, the government made a decision 
to turn off cell access to control to quote unquote proactively control potential flash mobs rioting with political action, freedom of speech, whichever, you know, I'm trying to make this not so much a political discussion. I mean, and it's kind of shocking that they did that. I mean, yes. Uh, and has huge implications. And I saw you put a link on our on our site as well that Scotland Yard was talking about shutting down some internet stuff. Post- well, this was the, there was this, this sort of weird sort of semi story that was that was you know a side story around the um, the London riots, which was um, the Scotland Yard chief said. At one point, we thought we'd like to we, we, we'd like to shut Twitter down because people were spreading rumours, and we realised we, we didn't have the authority. Um, and so they asked the Prime Minister for the authority, and he mentioned it in a speech. And then this MP, Louise Minch, popped up and said, yes, it'd be a great idea to shut down Twitter for oh, a couple God. of hours to dampen riots. And it's like, well, A, you don't have <laughs> the authority. Shut down Twitter. B, how are you going to do that? Do Maybe that, right. Two blocks shut from me down here, and their servers aren't in the UK. You could shut down the entire internet like the BART guys did. You can shut down the cell phone pieces, but I'm not sure how you selectively shut down Twitter for a piece of the UK. Okay. What's incredibly scary about that comment is is the the lack of education around the the, you know oh that's so scary that we still have that yeah go ahead Paul sorry I was going to say it's also scary that they think Twitter is their problem. You well, know. that's that's the meta issue that we talk about here all the time. I mean, like, really? Like, like, are you going to turn off telephone service because people are starting to complain about you in the news? You know, like, what yeah. it, it's like it's the equivalent, right? It's not about the pipes. Oh, yeah. so frustrating that people keep thinking it's about the technology. Like when people were saying, yes, these these, these kids are connecting with each other on you know, text messaging to start these riots. I'm like, please, maybe three people, and then the whole thing got organic and took off on a life of its own. Well, that's, you know, that's the, but that's the thing. They're, they're worried about these information channels. But actually, I think a lot of the, the, the riots were spreading because the television was showing this yes, stuff I- happening in one place, and they were going, oh, the cops are just standing there and watching them burn that thing down and loot things. We could do that too. Um, I think that's much more of a, you know, a way of spreading it than... <clears throat> The stuff they saw. I mean, the other thing was this week they prosecuted some people um, for yes. inciting riots on Facebook, and they gave two people four-year prison sentences for saying, "Let's go down and smash up our town center." Um, four years. Four-year prison sentences. Wow. For 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 incitement, which is you know that's the the range is between you know naught and ten, but for, because there's a conspir- there's a conspiracy to commit a crime law which says if you conspire to you know it's like conspiracy to murder is the same as murder be- just because you didn't manage to murder somebody doesn't mean you won't try, um, and, and they they took that sort of thing very literally in this case which was t- you know two guys posting independently Facebook pages saying let's go and smash up our local town. Um, and then they, they, the cops saw this and took, got Facebook to take the page down. And the, you know, the one guy turned up and nobody turned up as well. But then they tracked him down and, and prosecuted him for this and, and then sentenced him uh, very rapidly. So it, there's, there's a certain amount of knee-jerk justice going on there, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a, a knee-jerk CYA justice. This is like, we're going to show everyone. You know, but it's all about, and we'll, we're going to use this as an opportunity to maybe morph into some other stuff. But it's all about the people, government officials, people in control, just feeling out of control. <laughs> They're just feeling so out of control. What do you mean I can't? The old rules aren't working anymore, you know? Must blame something. Robot, robot, right? It just feels that way, doesn't it? 
I mean, it's like it's a little yes. insane. It's 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 none of this behavior is any different than anything else. But oh, we have something new we can blame it on. Um, I think at the speed that things happen are probably different. But uh, I mean, geez, the fact that. Uh, Communication should be, I mean, it shouldn't be, a, it's not a government. I mean, it's it's very interesting whether it's the Arab Spring or not, right? We're like living that is the access to the internet a, a right now, like water and shelter. Right. And I mean, you wouldn't, we wouldn't allow the government to turn off our water for. Or even if you think about other media channels, would the government yeah. turn off TV? Like I tend to agree with Kevin right. that I, I think TV was a probably a much greater motivator, much bigger signal of social proof that this was totally. okay to do. So like, but you can't, they're not going to turn off the TV. God, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just can't. Country will fall apart. Exactly. What will people do? We can't, the, you can't turn off the drug, Paul. It's the drug. You know, well, the thing is they do have, you know, they do have the emergency broadcast program. They, they do have right. plans in place to shut down the TV. So that, that's, that's, that's kind of what they're thinking. They're thinking, oh, right. Yeah. We have this thing that if there's a, there's an earthquake or some abduction, we can put the crawler up across all the channels. You know, that's, they have that sort of, you know, mid 20th century idea that everyone's actually watching the same channel at the same time, and it's not you're not going to see it on the TV a week later and go, "What the hell was that?" Um, and that, <laughs> that well, was it's the- still well. But by the way, there are still there are still many people who do watch it live, and I have a story that I will relate after you finish your point. So go ahead. But but that's you know. So I think part of it is that oh, we should we should stop the journalists filming this thing. Is the other police reaction? There was there was a case this week of. Um, prosecuting um, somebody for wiretapping because she filmed the police beating someone up. Um, that was in um, Missouri or somewhere. Um, and so there is this sort of re- reflex um, that, that is we should stop. If we stop people seeing this, it will stop it happening. Um, and so that I think it's that instinct that, that comes from the central control of media, from the, the, you know, the worldview of, of broadcasting, that is then, oh, we should be able to shut off Twitter. Um, but but missing right. the cultural context of the of the Arab Spring and you know the the U.S. State Department saying no Twitter you must postpone your nightly maintenance so that the people in Egypt can still talk to each other and all, which was you know, re- somewhat ridiculous in the other direction but um, you know just sort of watching this sort of um, transfer of information um, creation from the centralized organs of the state, from the, the, the broadcasters who are licensed to do this stuff to the rest of us, um, is, is, and the, the reaction coming back to that is, 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 is definitely part of the story. Oh, absolutely. And, and to your point about is the media these, I mean, it's a very good point that you're both making that the media is, is, is is becoming more of creating the story. You know, there used to be that sense of responsibility that, you know, I'm here as an observer, I'm not creating, but because of everything that's going on, you you know, we've talked about this before. You have this gleeful look on the on, on the anchor's face, you know, it's like, "Oh, they're rioting." Let's do you know, and and so it does lead to more. I mean, today I, I right before um I got on here, I caught a few minutes of CNN and obviously we had a horrible another yet another, you know, roller coaster day in the stock market and it was fascinating to listen to it on a radio news program when i was in my car versus turning on you know 
cable news because in the car, yes, they reported it was uh, CBS. Doesn't matter, but it's that radio news is much more factually based. And and here on and then on CNN, it was it was there was a bloodbath today. And it's like it's so dramatic. And there's a war on the stock market. And I'm like going. Do you want to start a run on people's like? It's like they almost want more worse things to happen, and and it's 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 out of a sense of not being able to con- control or understand it. I, I always go back to that. It's just crazy talk, crazy talk. Anyway, I don't know. I'm I'm I I think we've sort of beaten that one. We all know what our points of view are about that. We're not going to have a debate on that one. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we can't really have a good, you know, sort of deep debate because we all think that, you know, they're nuts to try it. But it is kind of, it, to me, what happened, at least with the BART, local BART San Francisco, was that, that someone had the, and I don't mean this in a positive way, but someone had the forethought to do that, to turn off the cell tower. Mm. You know, that was a little... That was a little Machiavellian scary to me, you know, very of Gany Morozov that, you know, Internet can be used for bad and good. And it sort of shocked me. It's like the kind of thing you don't expect to have happen here. Right. I mean, that's that, yeah, that's a precedent as well. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like that someone was smart enough, knew how to do it and got it done. It, it is well, but of, the, the, the BART one is interesting because what they turned off there was the special relays had installed inside the BART stations. So it wasn't that they shut down the entire cell phone network of San Francisco, which is the, the, what the vaguely what the London lot was saying. It right. was they'd built a relay station in the in the um, the underground train that so that people who were underground could actually keep using their phones, and they turned <laughs> that piece off. Um, but the, but the presumption was well that would help people organise the the riot, not that people would use that to keep track of what's going on and avoid the thing, or people would use that to call nine one one if there's. Um, something bad happening. That was you know, right. it's the presumption that communication is is dangerous. Um, and the thing is, once you're used to the idea that oh, I can use my phone on Bart, you you will plan around that and assume that that's your way of finding a place of safety. Whereas you know the London Underground doesn't have anything like that. So you know, right. you, if you're going on that, you've got half an hour with no cell phone signal, and so the, you've got to plan ahead and work around that. So well, I think it's, it's incredibly presumptuous and looking at things only from the. Uh, not only from a fear point of view, but from the point of view of what we're thinking and care about right now is the important thing. I mean, that's really, I mean, taking away everything from a purely organizational standpoint, it's, it was, it was not very tumbly. It's not very human and not thinking about all the other people who, as you're saying in their daily lives need to get in touch with someone. Or it's only looking at it from a negative point of view, from their own point of view, the own meaning the government or BART or whoever turned it off. It's, it's only, they're only looking at their lens. There's no empathy there whatsoever. <laughs> no. And I don't mean empathy as in feeling bad for the other side. I mean, understanding that there's another point of view. They only saw their point of view and what was important to them in that moment. Not maybe the pregnant lady who's on the train who might go into labor or the person who's running late to pick their kid up from school or all those other things. Right. And they really fell down. And so a lot of people are talking about it from the technical standpoint, but I think they really fell down in their responsibility as a public transit system from that point of view. Anyway, moving right along because we're 20 minutes in already and we have to talk to our brilliant that he's going to, I know he's going to guffaw when we say that our brilliant. (laughs) See, on on cue. Uh, no, on cue, he guffawed. There you go. Um, 
Paul <laughs> Adams. And for those of you who don't know Paul by name, he's at Pad A on Twitter because we have a lot of Twitter fans here. And has you know, Paul, um, I'll just do a quick sort of background intro on you because I think it would be really interesting intro on what you're doing these days. And, you know, started out sort of in as, a, as an industrial designer, something that I always wanted to be when I was young, and um, worked at Dyson, the guys who make all the cool, really high, expensive, you know, vacuum cleaners and now fans and hand-drying things with the guy with the British accent on American television, for those who've seen the commercials. And they designed really great stuff. And to me, what that says is that they, they solve problems in new ways. And then you got into, you know, UX, user experience design, and we're at Google for a while, being a researcher there, which we'll talk about. And now you're at Facebook as a product manager. Um, and have took taken, and your focus all, you know, in the last couple of years has really been around social networking, social connections, how we connect. Is that a, a good way to sort of sum it up? I think so, yeah. Uh, the, I was at Google for four years, and most of those four years I was looking at um, how people communicate right, and, and why. And and it's interesting. So four years ago, Google had people there who were focusing on how people communicate and why. I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so uh, More than one. More than one, yes, I'm sure, I'm sure. And, uh, and hopefully we're going to put this link up, but, you know, of, of late you wrote this, you know, you did this great presentation. It was probably came out of a talk, right, I would assume, called The Real Life Social Network that really went all over kind of the Internet and SlideShare and got a lot of attention. And why do you, I wanted to ask you, why do you think it got, it resonated so much with people? Um, that's a good question. I've thought about it uh, various times. I'm not really, I'm not sure I know the answer. Um, I think one of the things that um, was often true in a lot of the, and this, you know, what I'm about to say is good and bad, but one of the things that, that, that I often heard over the years was um, I was able to simplify complicated research. And that's good mm. because audiences can appreciate and understand the, the kind of core points, but it's bad because you miss all the nuance, you miss all the subtlety, you overgeneralize, like I overgeneralize, I oversimplify, and so depending on, on what side of the spectrum you're on, um, you know, th- that can be good and bad. But I think the, the real-life social network was, uh, you know, it was a bit overgeneralized, a bit oversimplified, but it, it's, it communicated a lot of points I think people naturally, intuitively felt, but didn't, hadn't really articulated before. And what are, can you tell us what some of those points were and like what was the most interesting to you about some of your work right now around this stuff? Um, I think in the real life social network, the main, uh, the main point that most people spoke about or referenced was the fact that we, um, have independent groups of friends and these groups don't necessarily overlap. And it's interesting because we don't, we don't really consciously think about this. We don't think, you know, we, we don't sit down and like map out our friends and mm-hmm. figure, figure out who knows who. It's all, it, we just all do it naturally based on years of experience and thousands, if not millions of interactions with many, many people. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, yeah, so it's, it's not necessarily obvious to us that our friends don't know each other. And then there's, you know, like when I give talks about this, I often use two examples where, where this <clears> becomes painfully obvious to people. And one, so one is your wedding where everyone you know in your life is in the same room, and that, for most people, is a very scary prospect. <laughs> uh, and then the other one, and, then, and for younger people who aren't married, the, you know, often like their 21st birthday or a big birthday, again, same thing. All their crazy friends are there. Their conservative auntie is there. 
like all these worlds collide. Right. Really good point. So, so what's interesting to me and what I love about your work is that I've often been frustrated um, with the very binary nature that in the in the very young world of social networking, we tend to talk about our connections, you know, friend, not friend, follower, mm-hmm. not follower. So I've often used the example to highlight the same thing and, and ask people, are you friends with your mailman? Yeah. You know, it's like because people because what we because yeah, what. You know, a lot of us, you know, what you often get is people saying, how can you have so many friends online? And it's, it's, it's this real leap that people sort of make in terms of thinking of their online and their off. People who aren't as geeky as we are, online and offline lives are so separate. And like you pointed out, our brains make all these billions of connections with different types of people and relationships and in, in much more fluid, organic, emergent ways than our current social networking worlds do, Right. Right. And that's and that's what makes it really interesting. Um, so, um, what else did I want to? I'm trying to think of some of the other questions that I wanted to like delve in. Like, what do you love most about sort of the work that you're doing right now in this in the, in you know on Facebook? And what are some of the ahas that you can share with us that you've had sort of around it? Yeah, so I work at Facebook. Um, I actually do quite a different job. Well, I do a different job. I, I was a researcher at Google. I'm a product manager at Facebook. But I work on a different. I work in a different space. You know, at Google, I focused on relationships, um, connections. Uh, how, you know, how communication modes, identity. Actually, a lot, a lot of a lot of stuff on identity. Right. And um, at Facebook, I'm more. I'm focused specifically on influence and how people influence each other. And that's kind of the thing that I've been, you know, becoming more interested in over the last couple of years. Yeah, and and <laughs> Kevin, jump right in. <laughs> what, what's funny about that is just that we're uh, we're, we're thinking a lot about influence lately, as people sort of and trying to explain what tumblers do and what tumbling is. That yeah. you know that it, it's really a social skill that we need. Those who can catalyze and connect others to each other. Um, People keep using influence with old models online, right? You know, influencers, and it's really just looking yeah. at it in a very big media kind of old school way. Well, right? what, what what Debs is trying to say politely is that we just proposed a South by session called "Influence is Bullshit." <laughs> yeah. I like it. What what's the what's the subtopic or what's the main theory? Well, the the, the point is that um, there are there are so many people who are now trying to reduce this to a, to a number that they can rank things by. Yeah. Um, How influential are you in this very... Are you an influencer or not, you know? And, and yeah. it, it's a, it starts with a number, and then it becomes a binary threshold thing of, well, are you influential or not? Should I be nice to you or not? Um, and that's the, um, that's the thing that we find frustrating about this um, because it, um, it is not a measure... You know, it, influence is this sort of big fuzzy thing that is not... Um, readily quantifiable because what you're influential about depends on what you're saying as well as as well as who you are yeah and it depends a lot i think it depends on many things depends on your context as well like your environment like um people are heavily influenced by the people around them and the things that are around them of course and and i might be influenced in and on one topic by one area more than another but you know, my family is going to influence 
I don't know where I want to live a lot more than people I know who are in my outer circle, right? But my outer mm-hmm. circle might have a person that's really expert in horseback riding, and I'm a big horseback rider, so they're going to influence me a lot deeper there. Uh, I mean, what's interesting to me, and I'm not, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm sort of just like comparing what you did at Google to what you're doing at Facebook. I mean, Facebook is, you know, it's about who's influencing who, and it's probably to figure out some business models around, you know, that area, whereas Google was more about identity, it's kind of interesting that 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 you were just focusing on those two different areas and those two different companies. It's kind of you know because influence, you know, if you understand how I'm influenced, you could say you can hopefully what get get me better information, have better algorithmic feeds, have you know get bring me. Um, uh, things that are more interesting to me, or friends that are more I have more in common with. Who knows, right? Yeah, I think there's a, there's probably a bunch of things. Like yeah. definitely, definitely, I'm motivated by a desire to build like great products that people value. Um, right. I think another kind of related to that is uh, an opportunity to not redefine. That's probably too big a word, but you know, the world of advertising is is, is kind of broken at the moment, um, and the world of, of marketing where we have exponential increases in information or access to information is kind of increasing exponentially and people only have limited attention spans and limited memory. So, um, you know, the solution to date or well, for most people, the solution to date has been blast more and more and more stuff at more and more and more people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And so, we're trying to, I'm trying to find a better, a better solution than that. Right. Yeah. yeah. What we call, what, you know, I have, I've done plenty of work in that area trying to shake the old advertisers and, you know, spray and pray doesn't work. But now they also want to show up at the Facebook dinner party and start selling me Tupperware. And I don't want them to do that either unless I want them to. And that's not picking on Facebook. That's just in general, right? They're, they, they haven't figured out this world that, that we're living in, you know, um, have you ever thought in your work on sort of influence or some of your work on Google where this concept of this Tumblr person fits in? You sort of get what we're talking about when we uh, talk yeah, about this? Um- I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, I haven't really talked about it in work. Um, and I haven't thought or, thought or read much about it directly. Like, you know, that the, the many years ago there was Tumblrs who were hired to do specific things. Right. Uh, but I think the patterns are interesting and the patterns, you know, like the patterns that you see with the Tumblrs um, trying to motivate action between people is like speaks to, speaks to issues about humanity, I suppose, that are timeless. You know, we're always, we've always been socially awkward at times. It's always harder to talk to some people than others. We're always looking for common ground, you know? And um, I mean, the, the kind of classic cases, like you go to a party and, uh, nothing, you know, as a, like when you first go to a party, if you're unfortunate enough to be one of the first people there, it's always a bit awkward and, um, you need something to talk about, you know, so suddenly if there's a live band or if there's, uh, you know, a performance by somebody or someone does something stupid, then suddenly you have some common ground to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Right. Although, although we sort of have broadened the definition in a way that it's, I mean, one of the frustrations, at least that I have with a lot of the social networking stuff and jumping Kevin is it's very one to many 
or it's very many to many or one to many, right? It's either this entire. So within every social group, like you've even talked about this, there's that person who can, who is going to connect you, who's going to be the overlapper, even at the wedding, right? There's going to be that person who is going to connect group A to group B, right? Mm -hmm. Or who gets everyone on the dance floor or catalyzes it. They're bridge people. They live on the edge. It's also a practice. And it's interesting how, this skill and the way we are in the real world is completely missing from the online world. Like we're not designing tools for those people, right? I mean, you know, we're just sort of, you know, giving us feeds and treating everyone as their own curator, right? As their own sort of catalyst and, and, and thinking that everyone uses this stuff exactly the same way. So it would be interesting to, I mean, you know, to, we've talked often about having some startups on here and doing sort of a makeover with them. If, if you design your tool so that when people arrived in the room, they didn't feel lonely, you know, what would the features be there, right? And sometimes mm-hmm. it's really simple stuff. So, I, you know, I was just wondering uh, you know what you thought about some of that stuff yeah it's it's something i've definitely thought a lot about i'm not i wonder whether i mean so there's definitely there's certainly more influential people um not more influential that's just a loaded term yeah, but there, that's but there are people there are people in groups who uh are you know talk more and connect more people together so that's certainly true um but i wonder if their importance is overstated you know like one of the things mm-hmm. that i've kind of been thinking a lot about and talking a lot about is the idea that um, all of us uniquely connect different groups together, like all of us, regardless of our position in society, like we have, or regardless of our personality, you know, we have our family, we have our friends from when we lived in place A and friends from when we lived in place B. And these are unique, very small groups. And we're the only person probably on the planet to, in a position to connect those groups together. So, you know, when you, when you think about um, network structure, and how people's how how groups and people are connected together. I think a lot of, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just a hypothesis, but I think a lot yeah, of the, a lot of the a lot of the stuff gets passed on through just regular folks. Oh, absolutely. I don't see. That's the whole point. It's not necessarily about influencers. I should have like said that. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's, a, it's also a way of being that everyone can do. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's sort of part of it. How much is this? Yeah. I was going to say, I think we can all almost, like almost all of us, I mean, there are obviously some exceptions, but almost all of us can do that in certain contexts. Like we're all that person at a different point in time. Right. And, And I just, I just think that we need that skill more and more. As, as like you're saying, as we have more information, Kevin and I have talked about, and Heather, as we have more information and we're all connected and we're all doing all this stuff online, Building things that make it easier for us to do that is really important, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, Kev, yes. am, I, am I sort of explaining sort of how, how it sort of fits in with that influence social network model? That's, that's kind of the point, right? Right. Well, I mean, the, the other thing is, is that, is that I'd, I'd love to, to get Paul to talk about is how the different affordances of, these, of the different social spaces we built online affect this. Um, so how there's a difference between the way Twitter works and the way YouTube works and the way Facebook works um, and how that affects um, what groups we construct on that. Because I think that um, 
that that sort of maps into into how what kinds of conversations you have there as well. I think that there's you know there's there's an aspect which is the structural piece, and there's the aspect which is the cultural history of how that system was used in the past, which then affects how it's how it's subsequently used as well. Um, so you you, you um, there are some things that are you know the the difference between Twitter and Facebook is that with Twitter. You can fo- you can be followed by a million people, but only talk to a hundred and not really perceive the million unless you want to. Whereas, um, if you did that in a, a system that 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 did force you to um, that did force everyone who followed that person to see every comment they were given, um, it would be a very it would be a very different conversation. Um, so there are the structural things like that. But then there are separate things, which is you start off a site with one group of people and they set the tone for it, and the site maintains that tone over time, even though there are similar sites with similar structures that start in a different space. Uh, yeah, I think, that, I think that's very important. You know, when people, um, I mean, just specifically to that point, when people encounter something new, uh, any kind of new um, online service or any service at all, I guess any experience, um, often if it's unfamiliar, they'll just look to the other people around them for kind of social proof about what's appropriate, you know, what behavior is appropriate, like what's happening in the space. Is it a space where I can shout my mouth off? Is it a space where everyone's very polite? Um, And like this happens in our real life too. You know, you're probably like, it's a bit of a um, stereotype probably, but you're probably far louder in the pub or bar with your college friends than you are in your in-laws house. Right. 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 just, you just, you just know. You walk in the door of your in-laws house and you know. You don't even think about it. You know, your subconscious brain takes over and says, don't say anything stupid. <laughs> right. You do it naturally. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We have a few questions from the chat room and I wanted to tell folks who are listening that if you have questions for Paul, which I'm sure you will, please line them up and share them in the chat room or use the Tumul hashtag on Twitter. Um so, you know, we've sort of been at the meta level here, and I know that a lot of folks who are listening are dying to know <laughs> what you think about, you know, what Google's doing in circles and, you know, how that's, how, that, how that's working out. And someone specifically said, what do you think Google want, is going to do with Hangouts in the future? Do you have any thoughts about that? Since you were probably uh, closer to it than you yeah. were. Um, I'm pretty limited. Honestly, I'm pretty limited in what I can talk about. I can talk much more in the abstract because, sure, um, sure. you know, I'm, I, I, didn't, I left fairly recently, so I'm right. still under NDA and all that kind of stuff. That's uh, what I said, but I thought I'd, <laughs> I, promised I, I promised I would throw it out there. So, yeah, we, you're not the first person we've had from, you know, one of these companies ask pointing. But I have to, to, I will, I mean, to, I to Pete to in our chat room, I just wanted to share that. That, yeah. I'll attempt to say something that's okay for me to say, and people might find interesting or valuable. So um, that's all we could. That's all we could hope for. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think at a at a very fundamental level, um, you know, I've, I've kind of I'm not the first person who've said this. Lots of people have said it before me, but that the web has been rebuilt around people, and uh, this is just our offline, our online world catching up with our offline world. So, um, to me. All companies, not specifically Google or anyone else, but almost probably almost all companies without exception will have to re-architect themselves around people and put people, their customers in many cases, at the center of all of their practices. And the reason Okay, is- slow down. Say that again. Pause, because that's going to be a quote for the show. Go right. Say it again. 
Um, I'm probably going to say it differently because I can't That's remember. Fine. <laughs> uh, That's fine. That's okay. I've got it. The people, so almost all businesses are going to have to put people at the center. They're going to have to re-architect themselves and put their people, which is mostly their customers, at the center of their practices. Right. Um, and I think, you know, the reason they're going to be forced to do that, a lot, like a lot of companies are going to be very resistant to this idea because it's really complicated and it's really hard. It's really yeah. hard to understand social behavior. And you've got very thorny topics like identity. And all of these companies are going to have to do it because if they don't, someone else is going to do it instead. You know, like I, like you saw, you've, you've seen it kind of with Zynga. Um, You've seen it with some other kind of disruptive companies as well. Like Spotify is a pretty social experience. Like mm-hmm. other companies. And, and even Zappos, which isn't a social. And Zappos. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. So these, this is going to happen and these companies, new companies will be built and old, various well-established companies will not survive. Um, and I just think it's inevitable. Yeah, I, I, obviously we can concur. <laughs> and that's, we just and concur that's... to the chore. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we we want to put human beings back at the center of you know business and tech and the whole. That's the whole point, and that's where the Tumblelink thing comes in. That that once you put people at the center, you need to sort of understand human behavior and have more of these types of people in your organization. Otherwise, things will be totally, you know, you, you have to start thinking in this very sort of more social, emergent, organic way. So, I completely agree. But, it, but like you said, a, a really big company, it's really complex for them to do that, right? Um, so, yeah, I think it's even complex for a small company. I think yes, you know it's going to—it's very hard, um, and that's potentially why that deck got got a lot of views, is because we need we, we're going to need to simplify it, and we're going to need to overgeneralize a lot, and in order to get things done and make things actionable. And a lot of people are going to be uncomfortable with that. Um, so, you know, it's going to be challenging. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm taking more questions because we've got good ones. So someone um, in the chat room wanted to know, and I'll, I'll, I'll scooch back up and, and take a look and mention your name because I hate when I don't do that. Um, what do you think of Quora? Um, I think, yeah, it's, uh, I've, I, I mean, I'm on Quora. I've answered questions here and there. I, I look at it now and again. Um, what do I think of it? I mean, I think it's very interesting. I think, and I think there's definitely a space for um, connecting people together, people who have information to questions that other people have. Um, you know, it's it's not new in in many ways. Like there's many Q and A sites like Yahoo Answers and places like that before. Um, but have you, seen, have you seen Stack Overflow and that that set of sites? The I don't think so. Stack Overflow doesn't ring a bell, no. So Stack Overflow was a programmer site with it, where they built a Q&A site um, with a bunch of um, sort of badgy, gamey stuff around it. But they've expanded that to a, a set of different sites around different different topics. So the original site, stackoverflow.com, is, is all about programming and a quick Q&A around that. But they've now got sort of variations. They've got ones about cooking and um, English grammar and photography and stuff as well. All right. Yeah, that's interesting. I think um, one of Core's challenges is that, and I'm, this is, I mean, I think they've spoken about this themselves, but um, going back to what we were saying earlier, the, the, there's definitely been a certain tone set because the people who've adopted Core very early are Silicon Valley type people or people who are interested right. in technology. And so the, so if you go to Quora and get a fairly random sample of what's happening there, you know, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's, it defines a certain place and a certain... Um, you know, body of knowledge that many people aren't comfortable with. And so, you know, the challenge for them is going to be transferring 
over to um, creating a space that everyone feels comfortable in or people can easily find the little niche that they are comfortable talking about. Right. Yeah, to me, it's just very interesting how it took off so quickly because I'm like, how is it any I mean, what made it so different than some other things that are out there? I'm, you know, um, I also but, don't know the, I also know the traffic figures for Quora versus somewhere like Yahoo Answers. Like well, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, Yahoo Answers probably twice as much traffic, but I don't know how valuable. You know, it's a different thing, right? Yeah. I mean, Yahoo gets a lot of traffic. We here in the Valley tend to ignore them, but they, you know, they're, they're big. (laughs) (laughs) They are big. So Uh, I think, you know. The things we get excited about are not representative of the rest of the world. No, no, they're, they're, they have to catch up the rest of the world, right? We're on the spear, the front of this. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, I've got another, I've got another question for you. And it's interesting that all these questions are more, they're not even about Facebook that much. So I I was curious and this, I think you can answer this question. Someone else online was uh, in our chat room was as well. And we did, we spent a fairly good amount of time talking about circles when it came out. We think it's pretty interesting. Um, Plus and minus is good and bad. And I'm not asking specifics, but what did you, what was your reaction to the whole concept around pseudonyms being you know since you did work around identity can you talk at all about like your sort of what the whole pseudonym thing that sort of popped up you know yeah i, I mean i can't um i can't really talk specifically about google plus and right. pseudonyms, but um Just like thinking general. thinking about thinking about it broadly uh right. you know there is certainly a need for pseudonyms um and and, and anonymity right so we, you basically have three things right. Or, right. actually there's almost four levels there's there's real like real names there's pseudonyms that you're recognized by, there's pseudonyms you're not recognized by, and there's anonymity. And, you know, in many parts of the, well, in many parts of the world, you know, like Mixi in Japan, the, social, the big social network in Japan, mm. most, people, most people on Mixi have a pseudonym. And um, most of the people who are friends with each other on Mixi know each other's pseudonyms. So they, they, but what's important is, the rest of the population doesn't know their pseudonyms. And so they can speak freely and not worry too much about upsetting other people or being politically incorrect or whatever. And, you know, then and, it's obviously- and, and the social people who know their pseudonym know that it's within a very specific context. So it's not taken out of context. Right. And, right, that's right. The and, yeah, and I think people would probably, you know, give their pseudonym to only subsets of their social network, right? Like they might have very close right. friends who they may not right. actually share their pseudonym with. Well, that's, exactly. I mean, that, that, well, that's part of the, the sort of the social circle stuff that you were talking about, where the way people segment themselves in the real world is by using different sites or different logins or different email addresses to, to segment the pieces. Um, our, our friend Elizabeth Churchill did some research on this a while back and found that most people, um, contrary to like programmers' assumptions, most people do have several email addresses and they use them, to, use them for separate parts of their lives. So they have a work one and they have a play one and they have a home one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, and that was the sort of their primary model for, for, uh, separating the different pieces together. Um, and that, and in some ways that makes sense because then they are, you know, distinct in the database. And one thing that's harder is if you're actually trying to represent the many facets of one person within a database, but not having them leak, that is, that is much more difficult because you've got to be really sure that your security is, is, is strong enough to make that work. Right. That's de- yeah, that's definitely the challenge from the te- technical perspective. And, and, um, you know. But also from an understanding perspective. So, I mean, the, the, I think part of the, the, the point of your um, social circle stuff was to say it's actually quite hard for people to understand what, who they're sharing with. Um, right. it's, it's to make visible who can see something when um, 
you you think you're just conversing with your you know the twenty people who who are actually responding, but actually there are you know maybe a thousand other people who are following you who may see that, or maybe you just posted it publicly and anyone in the world could see it um, if if somebody else shared them a link or it, you happen to mention something they were searching for, um, and and this, this is something that. Um, um, I think Dana said they're not actually the people share in public because it's easier than deciding who to share it with. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they actually want you to read it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think Dana, Dana, she, one of the points she made um, a few years ago that re- really resonated with me and I've repeated it many times to other people is the difference between public and being publicized. Yes. You know, right. that, yes. That you can, you can be, you can, you can be in public, but not necessarily want the information to be distributed more, even more than it was. And and that's where, I mean, if we want to take that further, that's why you get a lot, you know, when everyone talks about big data and putting data out there and privacy issues, it's not so much that it's out there. It's it's that someone may be able to aggregate and publicize something that you did not correlate or want public. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an interesting point. You know, another thing that I wanted to add into that is that what I find, which is really interesting is. Kevin, you're talking about people putting stuff out and being public. I'm of late meeting non-geeky, techie people who are like, I don't, who, their fear, they, they've opted out of all of it because they don't understand any of it. So, right? So that they won't share anything on Facebook. They don't want to be on Facebook. They don't want to be on the internet. Can't everybody read that? So I think it, you know, it behooves us in the industry to sort of do a much better job explaining what's happening with some of that. St- that some of those levels of sharing and it's hard it's complicated yeah i think the the broader problem for me and this is like kind of moving away from pseudonyms we can come back to that if you want but the broader the broader challenge for me is um trying to understand what the appropriate tools to build online are so you know offline we have thousands of years tens of thousands of years of evolution where um you know different social patterns have been etched into our brains and we've been born with you know like science has shown that we've been born with patterns in our brain already. We learn many throughout our life. And there's so, so much happens. One of the things I'm reading a lot, uh, trying to read a lot about lately is um, kind of more about how our brain works and the subconscious works. And so many things happen in our subconscious that I'm not sure that we can rep- ever replicate those things online. And so the question is, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, how, what, are the appro- what are the right tools to build online? Maybe, maybe it's not possible to build something that's rich and nuanced and easy to use and easy to understand that maps to all of the different groups and um, slight differences in character that people have in the different aspects of their lives. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's something that definitely, I mean, that's, I think, what we need to struggle with. Although I think up until this point, we pretty much, I mean, if if Facebook is the place where most of the planet is sharing their, their stuff, um, I don't know, in, inside the walls of Facebook, do people think that you're being nuanced and, and, um, I mean, how do you guys think about it? Right? Like, I love the fact that you're ask, asking that question, but if you're choosing to not make it nuanced and be the perfect tool for everything, then we sort of have to, don't you sort of have to make that transparent and say it, right? Uh, yeah, I think in a way, right? I think, I think the place that most people are sharing is face to face. Oh, so, yeah, that goes without saying. I meant that. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're talking so, to the person who's, you know, s- yeah. Stating exactly. the obvious. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, if Paul only knew me better, he'd know how funny uh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> but, 
My tagline is always technology changes, humans don't. So yes, I am in a complete agreement on that. So yeah. The, the reason I say that is it, isn't necessarily that I didn't think you thought it already, but I think <laughs> it's important that people, people don't like, we often forget, we often forget these things. You know, we start thinking about technology and we start thinking about online tools and we don't, nothing exists in isolation, right? Everything exists exactly. within a network of online and offline and, um, many compli- complicated things. And so we have to think about that. We have to think about, um, you know, information that's shared on Facebook may or may not have been shared on Facebook first. Like people might have talked about it, then shared it. Absolutely. You have the Absolutely. whole like, notion of after dinner links. You know, you have like you share <laughs> links after you eat dinner. <laughs> Well, that actually happens all the time now, right? Exactly. But what's interesting is, I mean, I I tend to think about it from a protocol social etiquette point of view also. It's like, right, you know, we share things face-to-face and then... I often think about like sort of Flickr, you you know, a few years ago, before you put a photo of someone up online, you sort of ask them. Mm -hmm. Now the default that we live with is it's going to go up online. You have to deal with it. You're going to have to untag yourself, right? So it's, to me, it's like, it's, it's sort of how we we're evolving together around how we're using the technology is fascinating. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of the social norms are, are being formed offline as much as online. Right. So like, you know, people, again, like these things don't exist in isolation. So for a friend of yours puts a f- picture of you on the internet and tags you and it's really embarrassing, you're probably going to have a conversation with them next time you see them and it's not going to be a pleasant one. <laughs> right? and, and that's how people will learn. Oh, I better not put that photo of Paul up again. Last time I did, he freaked out. Right, because the real complexities of our social graph, I purposely say that, and if you were sitting with me, you'd see me put quotes around it. Uh, <laughs> the, the term that people in, in, in geek circles like to use for your friends, um, people in your life, you know, is, is kept in your brain, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's that nuance. It's, it's, it's very hard to catalog it. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and make it, I, I love that a, you're thinking about it in this way and B that you're at Facebook thinking about it this way. So yay. <laughs> it <laughs> it makes good. me happy. You know, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad to have made someone happy today. Um, yeah. Well, no, because very, you know, it's important that we don't separate those two things because they do live. I mean, we, when we talk about tools for tumblers, I'd like to have more tools that do cross that barrier between online and offline. I mean, the example that we give weekly here, because Heather came up with it the other day is, wouldn't it be great if when Kevin and I were having a drink together in a bar and Heather couldn't be with us, she could, she could send us a drink. She could pay for a drink and have the bartender mm-hmm. send it over to us. I mean, yeah. using, using Square or here, whatever technology it is, right? So there's not – I mean, I think we're just at the beginning of people sort of combining those two things. But it, yeah. I think that's where the real fun stuff can happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think the interesting thing about all this stuff is that none of it's new. Like the the reason, you know, the reason that we, we've always shared photos, right? Ever since the camera was invented and our like Kodak or George George Eastman, like, you know, commercialized camera and made it accessible to the masses. Like we've always shared photos. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that we've always shared photos and kept photos is because we want to share experiences with people who aren't there or weren't there or can't be there. Right. Um, hey, you so, mean share, share an event asynchronously? <laughs> that's right. 
<laughs> not everything has to be real time. <laughs> yes, it does. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's great. Well, actually, I, um, I, I have a couple more questions here that I want to make sure that we get to because, oh, God, I hope I didn't lose them. No, I didn't lose them. So Carl in the chat room, otherwise known as T with Carl in our chat room, wants to know how can we get all three social networks – and the three he's talking about, <laughs> like I like that, Carl. The three, Facebook, Google Plus, and Twitter, I guess, to be more semantic, more circles slash objects. Um, I'm not sure what he means. I'm not sure what he means either. So, Carl, like, there's a, we have a few second delay. So, if you want to type in the chat room, sort of delve a little deeper into that one, that would be helpful. Um, and Pete just asked twice, so I'm going to get this again as the web re-architects around people what role will reputation scores play in businesses i think this goes back to when we were talking that all businesses need to re-architect around people yeah that's interesting um i mean i, I basically just echo what kevin was saying earlier with influence uh, yeah yeah like we already ha- we all have a reputation score already whether we like mm. it or not and absolutely we have that reputation score with everyone we know and it's different you know, based on who you know and all your previous interactions. So yes. I, I agree that like this idea that you have one score is is beautifully simple for businesses to try and adopt, but it's like it's a fallacy. It's the same it's the same reason that, you know, we we, we latched on to the influentials maybe ten years ago and spent a decade obsessing about finding these influential people in society. Right? Because it was easy. It was easier to think that that's the way the world worked. And so I think the same is true with these reputation scores. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we have reputation scores. They already exist. Maybe we do want to try and formalize them and map them and follow them and track them. But we already do all this stuff every day. Like we meet people, we, you know, especially in work environments, I guess, which, which is where a lot of these reputation scores come up. Like yeah. we, we, we choose who we meet with. We choose what we say with them. We choose what information to share and not share with them. All building our reputation, you know, subconsciously building our reputation score all the time. But absolutely, I'm. I, I but, we the, the two different things is we don't make them transparent. They're in our own brains, right? They're not public. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're obviously the obvious point is they're not quantified in some sort of agreed upon metric. And I, I, you know, I I'm with you. I think that even as we rearchitect around people, it it. it you are what you do, you know? I mean, one of the, the, the fears that I have, which is why I get so excited hearing you talk about, you know, the complexities of this is I very often view my online reputation or I don't even want to use the word reputation, my online footprint, footprint, right? Who I am online or, Mm -hmm. um, and offline, by the way, because those two relate, you know, I, I very often have, relationships that are both online and offline with the same people, sometimes not, right? So they inform each other. So I very often call like, we're all sort of like diamonds today. And we always were, except that it's persistent, right? And it's transparent and public. So people who only connect to me versus one social tool online, right? Or one tool online, they only read my blog, they only read, you know, whatever it is, have one distinct impression of who I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or people who, you know, there are people who think I, I'm always in airports. Why? Because I probably 
tweet more when I'm in an airport because I'm bored, you know? Right. So, so, so I like to think of it as facets. It's not good or bad. It's just they only have one point of view. And not till I will always say till we die, till we're not actually physical beings anymore. You know, not until we meet in person can you get all those phatic nuances. There, I said it. Woo-hoo. We, we never make it through. We never make it through a show without using the word phatic. It's kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I know that. I love that you'll get that. So, so to me, that, yes, check. Everyone drink. There you go. <laughs> so, so to me, that that you know, that is, that is, it can be a good thing. And I mean, it is what it is. But how you correct that, and if people, that's what I mean by. I'm sorry, I'm not being straightforward here. That's what I mean by the we as a culture need to sort of acknowledge that we're not being as granular and, and, and refined because you get articles like, don't put your Facebook pages up when you're drinking online because you won't get a job. Well, you'd like to think that your interviewer is going to understand that that was just one piece of you and that everyone does that. Right. So yeah. that's the reputation score thing. I get nervous about for that reason. Right. Uh, yeah. I think another point worth mentioning is, um, we, you know, there's like lots of really great research on, um, people observing other people and then explaining their behavior. And often people um, far, like they overestimate personality as a, as a predictor of behavior. It's like, oh yeah, he, you know, he did that because that's the way he is. Like he's always a kind of crazy, uh, you know, outgoing person or whatever, right. or, you know, the, or the opposite. And the, people always assume it's their per- it's the other person's personality that drove their behavior. When in fact, in many cases, it was the environment and it was the context that drove their behavior. You know, you, you hear people think right. like things are out of character or not out of character, but um, you know the environment in which in which we're in influences impact or influences us, I guess, and impacts our behavior really profoundly. And so, it'd be interesting to think about how we how the environments we create online do the same. Yeah, exactly, and 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 it's yeah. Well, it's it's. I think right now, to your earlier point, it's that we keep thinking that online and offline are so separate and distinct and not as porous as as it, they truly are. Mm. I think that's really what it is. The two things are much more interrelated than – I mean, I, most of my social tools I use to augment my offline life, you know, to use that term purposefully. Right. right? You know, there are plenty of people who use it, at, whether it's pseudonyms or otherwise, to create new identities. Do others? You know, it. it everyone's going to use it differently. I, I want to make sure we get to. And I'm sorry when I. It always feels like I'm ending a, an interesting conversation when I go to the next <laughs> question. But um, Carl had had a really good question. He originally asked about semantics and circles. And Kevin, mm. you were doing some chatting right now because while I was talking, we we were. Um, I lost so, some so, of the nuance. So, so Carl is saying that one of the things he's, he's surprised is that these um, newer systems are missing the ability to tag things, um, which is something we've had in blogs and with Flickr and some of the previous networks. Now, um, and, and we, don't, we seem to be losing that in the newer ones. Now, I don't quite agree because Twitter has hashtags um, yeah. and Facebook is now doing the um, mention a word clustering stuff where they're using the actual words that you use effectively as tags to, to, to clump things. So it will say six of your friends um, spoke about Google today or whatever it is. Yeah, but that's very different than that's, – that's implicit versus explicit in a way. I agree with you. It is semantic and there's some tagging, but it isn't me proactively going and tagging something. Right. So, 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 it, changes, so it changes my um, relationship with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but for me, this this all boils down to um, 
benefit versus effort. So like right. tagging is tagging is work. Oh, no a lot one, of work. No one wants to do work, right? Yeah. We like to do work here in the Valley and, you know, people who love technology like to do work, like tagging, but uh, most people don't and they're lazy and it's too much effort. And, and so for me, you know, a lot of this stuff, not just with tags, but in a lot of the stuff, we need to mu- be much better at communicating the benefits, like, like the point of view tagging. I'm trying to explain the semantic web to someone who doesn't work in a space is like trying to explain yeah. rocket science. Yeah. You know? Oh, totally. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Tagging block. Remember trying to explain, well, Kevin was a technorati and I was at six apart trying to explain tagging to people. Why would I want to tag a blog post? <laughs> I don't understand. What's the difference between a tag and a category? I don't understand. Right. So exactly. they, look at, they look at you strangely and then they unfriend you on Facebook because they think you've got weird. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah well, yeah. well, the thing is, I mean, the, so, well, the difference between a tag and a category, um, and this is... We're this, not going into that. No, no, I'm going into this because <laughs> it maps to the social circle things. The difference okay, between a tag okay. and a category is that a category presumes that you are constructing categories to put things in. So the, so the cognitive load of that is I'm dividing everything in the world into categories first, then I'm dividing all the things that I have into those buckets. Um, and th- those two tasks are both enormous, like map the entire universe cognitive load type tasks so you don't do them. Whereas the tag, the point of, of tagging was you look at a thing and say, what is this about? Which is why it works very well with photographs. You look at the photograph and six words come into your head. You type those words into a box and you hit return and that photograph is now tagged. Um, and then over time, you can then go back and say, what have I been, what have I taken photographs of? And you'll find that, that you've got a hundred photographs tagged with horse and 20 with dog and, and dots with the names of your kids. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, that that was the, the point was to reduce the cognitive load that was necessary to categorize the world. And the problem of the, the semantic web worldview is that um, if you're going to try and categorize things really well, you end up having to build hierarchies of, of meaning and, and mappings between them, um, and it ends up being very messy. Whereas we have this wonderful thing called language that lets you describe things, so you can actually put a, a list of words in, or possibly even a sentence. And so what we what we're seeing now is that. Um, some of the sites, you know, Google has, has long had this attitude that, well, the words on the page are the things that, 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 that define the page. Um, and Facebook has um, started doing this with the, with the post-clustering stuff. Um, but also the, the sort of the key tagging in Facebook is there, this person is in this photograph. That's, that's the sort of social gesture and the mapping that, that Facebook makes um, sort of trivial and fun and therefore discovers what, you know, discovers useful meaning from a bunch of um, pixels for you. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, it, to me, I, yeah, I, I struggle with this one because um, tagging is work and mm-hmm. we need to understand how that maps back to, you know, I, get, like, I keep repeating myself, but, you know, I, I, I always come back to the point that this stuff isn't new, right? We've all, right. this beha- all this behavior seen online, we've, we, we've evolved very sophisticated patterns for over thousands of years. So how do we tag things? You know, and again, like I, now I've, I'm using the quote finger thing. <laughs> see me. It's like, it's, like, it's like the forest, the tree in the forest. Does anyone hear yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so the, the tag, when we tag things in the real world, like how, what does that process look like? How do we do right. it? And, mm-hmm. and how might we not necessarily replicate that online, but at least build on the models that people already have. Well, you know, just off the top of my head, and we're going to wrap up soon, so I think um, if you have a few more minutes, I hope you can stay with us after the show because we have one or two more questions, but we'll, we'll end taping. I mean, to me, the, the, the point of 
there's all the, the point of some of this is that, that like you said benefit versus versus value right so there, I have a few friends who used to go through my Flickr photos and tag them for me because they were anal taggers. So you could argue under the, under the umbrella of tumbling, you know, let's include that feature there so that the people who are those who like to tag can continue to tag. So in the offline world, you know the people who organize your life for you. You know the ones who are very organized or who, and I don't mean literally tag, but to me tagging is, is an organizational type of thing. Uh, you know, it, it's, the, it's a personality type. You know, mm-hmm. or a skill or a skill set. It's someone who's willing to do that work. And so, I think to Carl's point, let's we should be thinking about even though we might think it's work, some people take a hell of a lot of enjoyment out of it. Yes. Steph, Kevin, Steph Booth. I mean, you know yes. her very well. I mean, literally used to go in and tag all my photos for me and God bless her for it because in the world where we're all connected, people would find my stuff. She was yes. being a real tumbler because she was going in doing something that catalyzed other people to action for me without any benefit for herself. And it all comes around again. <laughs> so, you know, it was a pay it forward kind of tumbling social networking thing. But I think the point is if we don't put those features in, and this is where you said, how nuanced do we get? How do you prioritize features, right? I mean, if I was in your seat, that's that, that's the hard part, right? How many people are actually going to do it? I, I'll stop my diatribe, but, the, you know, that's... <laughs> well, the other, the other way you get people to do it yeah. is you give them, you show them some meaning for it. So when we built the... the the blog tags in Technorati, we gave people a direct reason to do it, which was if you search on Technorati under that word, your post will show up. Therefore, it's worth you tagging your posts. And it worked. We got millions of posts tagged within, within a few months. And face, sure. the Facebook equivalent of that is the, um, the Open Graph Protocol stuff, where they're saying to the external websites, fill in this little piece of stuff at the top of your page, um, and then we'll know what, whether it's a movie or a book or whatever the hell it is. And so when someone likes it, we can say something more useful to them um, inside Facebook. So they're doing the same thing of saying, if you put this, if you categorize your page, when someone likes that page, we'll be able to understand that it's a book or a movie or whatever and put it in the right box on their profile. So there is, there is, there is you know, feedback loops like that, but it's the combination. I think, yeah, Carl, Carl's point is good in that there are people who want to do this. Yes, and exactly. And a lot of people want to do it for their own stuff because they care about that stuff and, and categorize it. And there are some people who want to categorize everybody else's stuff as well. And they're, um, you know, that, that's why we have librarians and they're really useful people to have around like, 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 like Steph Booth is. Um, and the, the, the question is, can you get them to do that without everyone getting either bugged by it or, or um, nervous right. about it? Someone is like you know, deliberately labeling you in every bad photograph of you. Or does it happen outside of that, of that uh, I don't want to use the word social network, that tool? Because I, I tag and curate my own stuff in Evernote. So basically, I'm pulling it off of Facebook, off of the web page, off of and and obviously it's private and it's mine and it's being lost. To Carl's point, to the that that um, that benefit is being lost by everybody. It's just me. It's I, like going back to delicious, like social bookmarking, right? It's I think one of the yeah, I think like really quickly, a, a really good example of this is Facebook groups. You know, um, which is effectively tagging if you if you think about it. It's just people huh. tagging other people in a group. Um, and I think what what was really interesting to me about, fa- about Facebook groups and the way it was designed is 
um, one only one person has to do the tagging, right? It's that it's that person, <laughs> the person who loves order yes. in the world, <laughs> right? They just they, <laughs> that, they, they just add the other people, and then everyone benefits, right? That, and I think that's the model um, that we mm-hmm. need to try and apply elsewhere as well. Yeah, I think, if, I think, if, yeah. If, if we want to build this world, yeah. Well, if we do, that's the way we. <laughs> that's the only way. Well. I, I, it's the end of our show, so I'm, I'm going to say this. Don't get me started on Facebook groups because I think it needs a lot of work. <laughs> so, uh, but That's why I mentioned it at the end. Uh, of course. It's like the, the, the shutting door comment. Thanks a lot. We're going to come back. <laughs> Round two with Paul Adams to pick on Facebook groups. No, I mean, I, we here do try to keep a civil head on. And so I think that it, hopefully it will change over time. But I find them confusing and not as good as they could be given. Um, they feel like a little bit of an afterthought, but that's okay. I know that Facebook will get around to it eventually. Right, Paul? Um, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm totally teasing. It's, it's not even your Everyone product. Everyone here is working really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and there's that's only awesome. one engineer for every million users, you know. <laughs> exactly. 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 Oh, God. All right. I, I'm, I'm hoping I caught almost everyone's question. There is one more question. Can you hang out with us for a few more minutes after show? Yep, no problem. That would be awesome so that some of the uh, the additional folks in the chat room and on Twitter can ask their questions. So, wow, I'm try- we've gone over 60, and we haven't done that in a while because your stuff is just so intriguing. So, um, Kevin, is there anything, uh, you know, um, channeling Heather, is there anything you have going on this week you want to share with everyone? It's pretty much a quiet week, I know. Um, Not really. I mean, the, the, the thing... The, the, the South by Southwest talk we mentioned, it's, go and look us up on that and um, and join the discussion there. And, and if you if you think that's a good idea, then, then talk that up. Um, otherwise, not sure. Well, we've got um, before we do another live show, I've got Dreamforce coming up, which is the, which is the Salesforce conference. Um, and yesterday they announced that you can go to the keynotes and the exhibition for free if you want to sign up for that. So um, okay. Ha- have, if you if you're interested in that and you're in San Francisco, come along. Awesome. That's, that's August thirty first. Lovely. And Kevin slid by it, but I'll remind everyone that next two weeks we are on Tomo vacation. Um, and when we come back, we are going to start with a new sponsor um, that we've just signed up and um, some exciting stuff happening. We have a great lineup of guests in the fall, and so I just wanted to say. This has been episode 77. To learn more about TumbleVision, please go to our website, review us on iTunes. And again, that's TumbleVision, T-U-M-M-E-L-V-I-S-I-O-N. And just remind everyone that TumbleVision is produced in Baltimore, Maryland by the amazing Andrew Hazlett of BaltimoreNexus.com. He's got the first person we know who's got a tumble job. And that will be it. Tumble out, everyone. Take care. Bye.